Hi there guys and welcome to today's live stream. Good evening. We're going to be talking all about back pain help from home. Today's main topic is going to be sciatica. Uh, going through this particular sort of uh, issue with you guys, giving you guys a better understanding of what exactly is going on there, maybe breaking down some previous misconceptions that you might have had. And as always, we've got Lara the other side of the camera. She's going to be answering or asking out your questions. So if you've got any of those, maybe you don't normally catch our live streams because they're on in the morning and you're watching this after work, then please do stick those in the comments below and we will get to the usual Q&A at the end of sort of the main topic. Uh, if anything here uh, sort of takes your fancy, any particular aspects of what we're talking about, please do stick those questions in and let's get into today's topic. So I thought I'd kick today's off by just talking very, very briefly about what sciatic is, what it's not textbook wise, and then from a practical point of view, what sort of definition we're gonna go through today so that the most of you uh, possible can really benefit from all of the stuff we're talking about and really identify with it well. So first and foremost, what sciatic is? Sciatic is when we have pain, and it's, it's, it's just the references just to the pain itself that stems from around about here, sometimes around about here, roughly, and goes in a continuous line down the entire length of the sciatic nerve all the way down into towards the heel and foot. That is going to be your sort of textbook sciatic. It's a reference to the pain rather than anything else. And that is a really important thing that you want to be mindful of. Now, what it is not, sciatica itself is not pain in the back of the thigh, buttock pain, leg pain, toe pain, side of the foot pain, pain in the back with any of those things or without those things. That being said, it's often that those sorts of issues are going to be diagnosed as sciatica when you go into your GP because it just helps you understand that as a patient. The, and and it's, it's not that bad of a, of a, of a um, cutting corners, if you will, because it does help you understand it. The problem being that there is a lot of material online when people get diagnosed with sciatica that's, that paints a rather bleak uh, outlook uh, and a lot of people saying, well, sciatica can't be cured. And, and peer patients come to see us in the clinic and actually have that sort of misconception. And, and that's really worrying. So if there's one thing that you take away from this video, I want you, if you've got that pain down the leg that maybe it's been classified as sciatica in the past, or you feel it kind of fits the bill of what you understand as being sciatica, I want us to re sort of classify this and therefore use these principles that we're gonna talk about today to help you get better and have a better framework for understanding what your body's going through. Because sciatica really, is a form of lumbogenic leg pain. And what that means is that something in the lower back is injured and that is irritating the roots of these nerves, particularly it's going to be at the four, five segment and the five S one segment. This could be a range of things. And that is giving you pain that is irritating the roots of the sciatic nerve. That's what causes textbook sciatica. It is a lumbar issue. It is a lumbogenic leg pain, but the full textbook obviously goes all the way down the leg. So what we're referring to in today's live stream is that there is an injury in your lower back that may or may not be accompanied with lower back pain, but it is giving you pain in the leg. And it's predominantly the back of the hamstring, the buttock, possibly a little bit of the outside of the thigh, uh, more so towards the back part of the outside, down outside of the knee, lower calf, uh, sorry, the calf and the lower leg, and then possibly into various parts of the foot, outside of the foot, big toe, that sort of thing. All of these would come under the banner of quote unquote sciatica and really 
this being a lumbogenic leg pain. And what we want to then uh, talk about is what can cause these injuries. And they can be things like slip discs, bulging discs, herniated discs, degenerative disc disease. It could be stenosis as a result of spondylolisthesis. It could be a number of different injuries, all stemming from the lower back. And the consequences of that, maybe that there's some direct pressure on those roots of the sciatic nerves, which are these little yellow bits down here, or it may be that there's excess inflammation in that area. And that's what we're gonna cover with these weird little circles on the board here. So I'm gonna go through this nice and slowly. We'll leave this on the board when we're going through Q&A as well. So you guys can ask any questions with reference to these. Now what we've got, and I'm gonna spend a bit of time talking about this part, is we've got normal, we've got a four bend position, we've got a kind of extension, then we've got what we've referred to the towel exercise. And I'm gonna explain a little bit about each of these movements. So what this represents here is, this black line here represents what you guys can see. The, the black line is the bony outline, the bony canal through which these nerves run. You can see them clearly up here, but we're immediately thinking about today in sciatica, these lower ones here, which are a little bit obscured by the, the pelvis here, but this one, L5S1 and L45, those are the ones we're talking about. The big red bit in all of these instances is going to be the nerve, the yellow nerve, and that, is what is going to be compressed and the blue bit is going to be a buildup of inflammation. We will draw a few discs in there as well as we go along. So it should be, uh, that will also be considered, but we're purely going from a point of view of inflammation first or excess fluid swelling, whatever you want to call it, because that's how we want you guys to understand it. And what we first got is a normal, sort of a normal person, normal position, nice neutral lumbar spine. We've got the discs underneath because when we've got a nice neutral lumbar spine, we've got a set size of the hole where the nerve comes out and we've got a set height of the disc because it's not being squashed. And that's what we can see here is the normal, nice intact disc, etc. Now, when people frequently injure their lower back, they injure it bending down to put their socks on. It's carrying something. It's putting the child in the car seat. It's maybe getting up from gardening. It's normally overwhelmingly involves a flexion, a forward bending. You can see what happens here. If we take, for example, a higher one, just for you to see it as we bend forwards, pressure shifts onto these discs. Now these aren't squashy, they're plastic, and the hole on the back gets larger. And this is where the first problem arises because this hole increases in size and therefore we drive pressure through the discs. And if you saw our live stream on Friday, you'll know that this puts a tremendous amount of stress through and stretch through all of these ligaments here and creates over a long period of time a weakening and an elongation of those ligaments, which is not good for lumbar integrity. It drives pressure on the front part of this disc, so the jam drives through the back. And if we've got any tears or injuries here, it's going to really exploit those. And this is where we get the slipped, bulging, herniated, etc. discs. And this will also occupy this space here and irritate the nerve. Now, what we commonly get prescribed is going to be knee hugs, it's going to be forward bends, it's going to be touch your toes, it's going to be nerve flossing, etc. to enlarge this space down here where my little finger is to get that bigger because it is the buildup of extra inflammation in this area that creates pressure. And if we have a buildup in a neutral position of inflammation all around here, it starts to put pressure on the nerve. And what's the number one thing we can do, which is why it's recommended, hopefully you guys have been diagnosed with this or back issues in the past, you've been given knee hugs and those sorts of exercises. It will make sense why now you have been given knee hugs. Because when you hug your knees, you make this hole larger and therefore the pressure 
in this little tube becomes less and that immediately unloads the nerve. But the problem is it wasn't the inflammation there that was first what caused the injury. That was a reaction to the injury or that was a result of the injury, the excess inflammation buildup. It was the pressure on this disc. And in the process of you doing those knee hugs, we drive more pressure through the front of this disc here, which further exacerbates the problem. And because of the nature of lower back issues, they tend to come on and slowly build up. Maybe it's over a course of a couple of hours, maybe it's over a course of a couple of, uh, you know, 24 hours and, and a night's sleep. We've all sprained our ankle at some point or know someone that has, and you sprain it, you look down at it, it's normal size, you get back home, you look down at it after five, 10, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, all of a sudden it's the size of a watermelon. And you think, God, how did that happen? It wasn't that sore until I looked down again and all of a sudden it swelled up. Well, that swelling will be happening in a small space at a slight delay because of the nature of structures involved. And therefore we lean forwards to decrease the pressure on this nerve. Now the problem with that, we'll get to a little bit later, but we'll park that there for the moment because that is not a good thing to do. When we, however, move into a position of extension, and this might be why things like Cobra exercises are often recommended where we arch our back, we actually create the opposite effect. We stretch this disc here, which draws it back skinny again. Think of a water balloon that's been squashed and it, fat it fattens out like what's happening here. If we stretch it, it gets skinny again because all of these points are, con are in connection with one another. They don't detach from one another. And that unloads the disc here. The problem is that as we backward bend, as I'll show you guys, if we take this one here as an example, we go from forward to backward bending, that hole just got a whole lot smaller. If we've got any other movement issues in the spine because of ligament damage, then this can further complicate things. But what happens now is all of that inflammation that got stretched out, opened out over a larger area to decrease the symptoms and the pressure on the nerve now gets crammed into a smaller area and that will give you pain. And I'm going to make a slight tangent here to some of the exercises that many of you guys in the Back in Shape program will be doing. Things like uh, the dead bugs or the marching bridges or any exercise. When we do those wrong, when we do not stabilize our spine, say for example, we're lying on our back and let's just pretend this is the one we're talking about. I know it's not, but you guys can see it a little bit more easily than the ones down here. When we lose our core control and we allow our spine to be go from a nice neutral position and just go bump into extension, that hole gets smaller. Now we, we will get pain associated with that but we haven't made the injury worse, we've just made the hole smaller. Now we don't wanna repetitively be doing that, we want to use that as a cue to adjust our technique, make sure we're doing them properly, and really say, do you know what, I can't do five of these without losing the control, even though I think I can, and I could probably do, I can physically do 10, but they hurt. We need to say, do you know what, I'm not quite as in touch with my body as I thought I was, and my capabilities as I thought I was, because I keep allowing this to happen. And therefore I need to back off a little bit and allow my body to adapt. Maybe I do go down to three reps, for example, where I can hold the spine nice and steady without it going into that extension. But that's not a problem in that particular scenario. It's just that it is heightening the sensitivity in this area. The underlying injury is not being injured in nearly the same way as say the favorable, pleasant knee hug exercise, which is actually insidiously making the problem worse by just opening out this area at the expense of causing further damage to the disc. Now we do have a little hybrid exercise that we talk about, which involves using the rolled up towel, which hasn't made an appearance in recent live streams, but now has, and that has a slightly different exercise or a different effect. And what that does is actually combines a little bit with this, with a little bit with th of this, because it actually stretches 
both out gently. A smaller amount here, but it unloads the discs here in a, in a safe and effective way in alignment with the natural curve that we should have in the lower back, the natural lordosis as we lie over that towel. Now, some people might say, well, that's okay, but sometimes when I do the towel, I get a bit of discomfort. Maybe when you first started doing it, you get a bit of discomfort. And the reason for that is this. When we have a lot of pain in the lower back, when we've got a lot of inflammation because we've been repeatedly doing things like knee hugs or inappropriate exercises, or even on a slight tangent, sometimes people say, well, I'm not feeling well enough to do the exercises in phase two. I'm going to hold off them. But then that person, that same person will go about the activities of daily living, loading the dishwasher, going up and down the stairs in the house and other sorts of things that are not controlled whilst not feeling comfortable enough to do prescribed specific exercises, which is a bit of a misnomer. It's, it's, it's really, we need to rethink uh, the way in which we look at these things. But the thing with this is that a lot of people are leaning forwards when they injure their back. They have an inability to stand up straight. And when that's there for a long period of time, even a normal position like this, we allow excess inflammation to build up around these discs. And now this is swollen up. So even returning to not this position, but a normal position in terms of that hole coming back to a normal size, it's going from that is how it's been for the last three weeks. Returning just to normal is enough to be a little bit uncomfortable. And that's why many of you that start the phase one exercises will often find that towel is actually an uncomfortable exercise to begin with because your body is so stuck in this forward bending position because of either activity or because of antalgic posture, the avoidance of pain. So we lean forwards and unfortunately make the problem worse. That's why it's even difficult to return to normal. And Hopefully by me going through this in today's live stream, you guys have had a bit of a breakthrough understanding of how and why you get some of the reactions that you get when you do some of these exercises so that it can reassure you a little bit more that actually a little bit of discomfort is because of this and not the problem getting worse. And therefore, maybe I need to be a bit more cautious with my technique on some of these exercises specifically, but... I should continue on with diligent and correct technique. And to the degree you have more sinister problems, such as things like the unfortunate spondylolisthesis or stenosis or other issues, is to the degree you must focus on impeccable form. And if that means, as we demonstrated in the premium membership earlier uh, last, uh, late last week, if that means some of the first exercises, you're just getting into position a couple of times without actually doing the full exercise, that may be necessary a necessary starting point for you. So. That's pretty much it. I think the last sort of bit I wanted to cover was injury and exercise, and we've kind of done that. So I'll hand over to Lara and we can go through a few questions. Okay, brilliant. Good evening, everybody. Awesome. Um, hope you're all keeping well. Please keep the questions coming in. I just wanted to ask you just about the towel exercise. Mm -hmm. If you are in fairly acute pain, how many times can you use it during the day? Is it is it a case of just after you finish the phase one or could you actually do the towel and the nice multiple times? Yeah, so the, the, the purpose of the initial phase one process, and even phase one in the context of phase two and phase three, is that it is a mechanism for you providing freedom and uh, unloading on these injured structures, which may well be the disc, it may well be other structures in that lower back. It's a mechanism for you, unloading, for you to periodically unload those through the day so they can get an exchange of nutrients, so they can get an exchange of blood supply, so they can get rid of waste products, and so they can get a bit of just a break 
so they can go through a healing process. If you imagine all day you've got a cut on your skin and you're constantly picking the scab, if you stop for a moment, it actually allows it to start laying down some of that, some of, that, uh, some of those platelets and start to mop the wound up. So the towel is something that, although we prescribe it three times a day, you do it in conjunction with that phase one routine three times a day, it is something that you can do more, more regularly than that. If you're someone that's, that's having to work through things in the desk, uh, in a desk space, posture and and you have the ability to have a towel right next to you i would suggest in in the throes of a more serious episode you should really be jumping on there maybe once an hour once every half an hour for a few moments to the degree it's not too much of a trauma for you to get up and down off the floor maybe you do it on the bed for the time being but there is absolutely no harm in doing that one more frequently during the day i wouldn't do it for longer periods in terms of longer stints of time, but a three to five minute blast on the towel for a few moments is absolutely no problem, even if that's a good few times a day. And again, when you're in an acute flare up and you can hardly walk, using the ice in conjunction with that immediately afterwards is going to be a helpful tool to remedy that. Brilliant. Um, and also great for neck pain. Oh yeah, the same advice for, for neck pain would be, would be, would be true, yes. yes. Okay, in the overall majority of cases, unless you've had imaging that suggests otherwise. Okay, so I'll move on to the questions. Joe has asked here, if sciatica pain is causing you to lean forward or stand funny, should you try to stay as upright um, as much as possible, even if it is painful? Yes, so so this is the big one uh, that really catches a lot of people out. It's that when inflammation builds up in this area here, let, let's just suppose we've also got a disc bulge. Let's throw it in there, because I didn't draw it out on here. I was gonna touch on this actually. This scenario is often accompanied with a disc bulge. So not only we've got inflammation here, but we've also got a nice little disc bulge that's coming into here as well and occupying the space, further decreasing it, even in a forward bent position, let alone when we're actually back here, it's gonna be occupying space as well. And the same thing in this one, although it actually does reduce a little bit when you do the, the proper exercises. Um, you are leaning forwards to take pressure off those nerves, but you are in the process of doing so, making things worse. So would you, whilst you're using the ice and doing the towel and doing the correct stretches and doing the correct uh, activity and daily, uh, of, uh, daily life activity modification, you should really be trying to stand as erect as possible, stand as upright as possible, and look as much like this as possible. We shouldn't be arching backwards because that's unhelpful as well. That creates other issues. But a nice simple one is to just go and stand with your head, your middle back, about where the bra strap is for ladies, your bum and your heels against the wall. That will often be a little bit uncomfortable, but you are it's only uncomfortable because you're returning to this position from being in a position like this. And that will generally be, it is the, um, the, the, the excess inflammation, the excess swelling in that area that's actually aggravating you rather than the problem being made worse. And it's something as you're icing and as you're using the towel, etc., that can be a very valid test for the levels of inflammation in your back and how, how effective your recovery process is going. Mm. It's a nice little test like that work well. Yeah. Sometimes it is tricky when you're in so much pain. Yep. It really takes it out of you, even just standing straight. You know, yep. and you need all the energy in the world just to be able to hold an upright position. So it, yep. it can be tricky. No, it can be, it can be really exhausting. I think yeah. It's important when we say, oh, just stand up straight. You know, we understand that it does it does take a little bit of grit and determination to do that, but but endeavor to do so nonetheless. That's really important. Okay, brilliant. Um, Ollie has asked here, is it a good idea to use ibuprofen to get rid of the inflammation or should the ice be enough? I'd always default to ice for a couple of days first mm -hmm. uh, for two reasons. Number one, 
if you've taken one ibuprofen and it's worked, generally speaking, that's going to be placebo. You have to have taken it for a couple of times for it to build up. Now you could make the question, you could make the case that placebo, if it makes me feel better, then it doesn't matter if you're tickling yourself with a feather. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, then that's an important thing as long as it's not doing you any harm. The problem with things like ibuprofen is if you do look at the side effects list, then you start to think, hmm, do I really want to go down that route? I need my stomach to be in a good condition so it can absorb nutrients, etc. Do I really want to be taking something that's going to irritate and and damage and literally create inflammation in my gut as a anti-inflammatory not necessarily the best thing the second thing is inflammation throughout our entire body is necessary there's a lot of maybe um, lack of explanation around inflammation and its process its role in the human body and in the human being and inflammation is actually something that is good that is necessary to signal the processes that take place for healing the direction of macrophages our white blood cells to go in and clear out debris and waste products etc to divert more nutrients to an area for healing etc so those things are good excess inflammation is problematic though and when you've got a tool like icing using it periodically through that day not just once and going oh it didn't work for me because the, because that's not how it works using it periodically through the day with the icing over a local area so that you only affect the area of your body that you do want to control excess inflammation rather than giving a taking a drug that has a systemic wide effect uh, for example many of you will take more severe painkillers or will have at some point and the reason a lot of you guys don't take those is because they knock you out mentally because it affects everything with these oral drugs, they don't have the capacity to target direct areas. You do with things like ice and providing you're not in the category for needing those because you can't move, it would be more sensible to use ice correctly, maybe a little bit more frequently than we recommend, but correctly nonetheless for a good few days. Okay, so, uh, so on the topic of ice, Karen has asked here, would alternating between heat and ice help back pain? So contrast bathing is a good one. It's, you know, if, you're, if you've been a member of our Back in Shape uh, for, for a while and you're watching this, then it's something we don't tend to talk about really at all. But in the throes of a more severe episode and sometimes in the throes of a more chronic episode, um, you will find that actually the use of contrast bathing, so five on, five off of heat and ice is something that is helpful. The general, the main reason to be completely honest and open with you guys that I don't recommend heat and ice as contrast bathing is because it's a lot of faff and it's hard enough for people to do the ice regularly. Um, the heat and ice, it's just really impractical. You buy the freezer, then you buy the microwave and you're back and forth and it's just... It, it's not as pragmatic. So at the very least, if you can get ice done, if you do have the willingness to do the contrast bathing, always finish on ice. And a nice routine is just go through it three times on each. You know, five, on, f uh, five, five of ice, five of heat, five ice, five heat, five ice, and then there we go. That's um, it. But am I right in thinking that with the heat, you you don't want to apply the heat where you apply the ice, even if you do the contrast? With the no, ice, you, no you would do. Oh, oh, you, you would do. Because you're looking to create a vascular shunt. Okay. The problem with heat when people use heat on its own is it just diverts so much there and then just leaves it. Okay. And it stays warm for an extended period of time and it just creates a massive bogginess. Whereas when you're using the height, the height, the ice and the heat, you shunt fluid through, then you retract fluid away. Then you shunt it back through. It's like um, the, the, the way in which the ice is nice is because you decrease the circulation. And when you take the ice off, your body naturally pushes fluid back through that area. But when you do the contrast, the reaction is kind of like, if you imagine maybe you're putting Mr. Muscle down your sink, you're kind of flooding it back down and through to clear away some of that extra rubbish and then using another tranche of ice, which is why you always finish on 
ice. Otherwise, it's just as bad as using heat. So it's a little bit more complicated. Maybe some of you guys will be thinking, okay, I'm a bit confused now. What should I do? If, if, if you feel comfortable with what we've just explained, then by all means, give it a go. For many of you guys that are in things like phase two, phase three of back in shape, not really relevant for you. But for some of you that have just injured your back, or maybe it's just another flare up of an ongoing problem, you might find that that contrast bathing, if you've got the patience for it, is something that's worth 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 exploring. Okay, but otherwise, but again, always ice overheat. Always ice overheat okay. as, as, a, as a rule, yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, Jeannie has asked here, thank you. That explains where I might be going wrong. What should I be aware of with the stretches in phase one? Um, that's a really open-ended <laughs> question. Um, what should you be aware of? Um, one, one of the big ones is going to be the hip flexor stretch. When people do the hip flexor stretch, um, they often allow themselves to go into a position of extension. And as we go into that position of extension, we're gonna close these holes here. We don't want that happening. So we need to make sure we, we brace ourselves and focus on isolating the hips. It's just having a little bit more of a OCD analytical sort of approach to those stretches to make sure that when we're doing the stretches in phase one, we really are just hitting those muscles and the hip joints only. We're not getting any back involvement and setting yourself up in a position that is as comfortable as possible so that you can really have your upper body nice and relaxed, your core and spine nice and protected and only moving the hip. It's kind of like if I'm doing my shoulder, I only want my shoulders to be moving. I don't want my shoulder, my spine to be moving as I'm moving my shoulder. That That's the problem. So we want to really make sure that just the limb is all that is moving. There's no spinal involvement. That's probably the biggest thing with phase, uh, with the phase one stretches where people fall foul. Okay, brilliant. And, and obviously one more, actually, no, I will yeah. demonstrate this one, is the hamstring one. When people are doing the hamstrings, they, they, they inadvertently, they round the back. They don't keep the back nice and straight through here without bending it should be really it should be as we go forwards it's that movement there is no bending of the spine at any point on the ham on the hamstring one in particular we did a nice little one if you're in the premium membership go into the facebook group and have a look in the phase two little section i did a nice one using a band to help you get that movement right and obviously you've got the floor one as well okay awesome so kate has asked why uh, why is the use of ice only advisable for three to five minutes if it does help? And how long between intervals can I use it? Um, so generally with the icing, it's until the body's returned back to a normal temperature, normal body temperature. So Kate, uh, that might be a little bit more difficult to ascertain. Uh, so I'd probably give yourself sort of uh, 20 minutes, half an hour or so, and that should do the job. Um, what was the first part of that question? Why, that was... Why, why is it advisable? Yeah. Um, so unless you are... So there's... We all, depending on where we're from on the planet, if you're from anywhere south of sort of middle to southern Italy, from that sort of climate, you're going to respond a little bit differently to, to ice. And if you're anywhere from sort of Siberian Russia, you're going to respond a little bit differently to ice. So a little bit, you need a little bit less and a little bit more in terms of time. But three to five minutes is a nice little one. If you start doing it for longer, you run the risk of creating further issues and it doesn't quite work as well. Okay, awesome. Um, Veronica said really good information. I now realize uh, why when in pain I could walk uphill fine but downhill was agony yeah that's that's a big one for back back people um, going up the hill is actually creating more damage to the problem but because of that forward bend position you're in that one there so you're going to suffer more later on in the day stroke the next day after going uphill 
but the downhill is actually going to create more problems because you have to counterbalance and lean backwards and that makes the hole smaller and, and, and if you've got any other facet issues it can also give trouble there but it, it, that's a really really common one i just if you've got back pain if you're struggling try your best to walk on the flat it makes mm. a massive difference to the amount you can walk and remember we do want you guys doing some of the walking it's not making you really fitter and stronger unless you're working at a certain heart rate level so some of you guys yes it will be a cardiovascular workout for others of you it, it won't be sufficient to stimulate your cvs system appropriately but that those little undulations that just go through the spine left and right when we're walking are really really important for keeping it mobile and and seeing as we're touching on the prospects of mobility in the spine we don't really recommend you guys doing those more extreme mobility exercises things like cat camel and other child's pose and those sorts of things because it's just too much especially in a phase one you don't need that um it, it it's 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 i use the example before it's like having a broken bone and going yeah let's just try and get this moving you know not really a good idea it's a bit of a facetious example but you kind of get the point okay brilliant i think that is everything for today yes awesome well hopefully you guys found today's live stream interesting i hope that if you do have sciatica it's helped you look at it through a different lens perhaps or if you've got back pain helps you look at the problem through a different lens giving you a few different things to think about in the context of that back pain and how you approach it how you how you gauge the feedback is it necessary that pain is more associated with the position rather than actually making the problem worse and also that sometimes some of those exercises that feel good may actually be inadvertently making the issue worse so hopefully you found it interesting if you do have any further questions post those in the comments below because we always look at those after the fact uh we're going live tomorrow morning which is going to be 8 45 talking about upper back pain so we've got some good bits and pieces to cover for that for you guys until tomorrow have a great afternoon thanks so much for joining us and if you're new to the channel do consider subscribing have a great evening and we will see you tomorrow with another live stream Thanks so much for joining us on today's video. Hopefully you found it packed full of useful information. If you want to learn more about the premium Back in Shape membership, there's going to be a video somewhere underneath here. And if you want to stay up to date or tune in to some of our more recent live streams and the Q&As at the end of those, then that's going to be down here. And remember, you can subscribe to the channel up here and hit the notification bell to make sure you know when we next go live so you can join us for our next live stream and Q&A.